0: Hey, listeners. Before we get into our episode this week, we wanted to acknowledge the author of the source text these movies were based upon is an unrepentant transphobe. We recognize that some of you will want to skip these episodes for these reasons. We completely understand, and we'll see you on the other side. To everyone in the LGBTQIA community, you are valid and loved. In the meantime, on behalf of the Third One Sucks and Retrograde Orbit Radio as a whole, fuck turfs, and we say trans rights. Welcome to The Third One Sucks, where we rank every movie in a
1: franchise from first to worst. I'm Dan Ellis. I'm Mark
0: Bell. And what are we going to talk about today, Mark?
1: Today we are looking at Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, Part 1. A fantasy film directed by David Yates. Based on the books by J.K. Rowling, it follows the adventures of Harry Potter, the boy who lived, and his friends Ron Weasley, Hermione Granger, Albus Dumbledore, and the rest of the Wizarding World in their battle against the powerful dark wizard Lord Voldemort. Starring Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grint, Emma Watson, Helena Bonham Carter, Ralph Faines. Ralph Faines? I don't remember how to say his last name. How do you say his name? Ralph Fines.
0: Ralph Fine. Ralph Fine. Ralph. Ralphie
1: Ralph- <laughs> Ralph F. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, starring him. Robbie Coltrane, Alan Rickman, and Michael Gambon. It premiered at the Ogden Leicester Square in London on November 11th 2010, and was distributed by Warner Brothers. Now, this is normally the part of the show where we jump into the fan review. But, listener, I wanted to take just a minute to address something so that I don't have to get angry about it later in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> we put a disclaimer up front. We've talked a lot about J.K. Rowling and her very terrible and wrongheaded opinions Mm -hmm. about a lot of things, specifically her transphobia. There's a scene in this movie relatively near the beginning where a female character polymorphs into a male character, looks at her male body wearing female garments and tells her boyfriend she's hideous. Yeah. I suppose to a younger Mark, that scene probably just clicked as yet another ha ha. It's a character wearing a different character's (laughs) clothes moment. Uh Watching it in the modern lens I got so angry, (laughs) Dan, I got so angry in that moment, and I know I would get angry when we got to it in the discussion, so I thought it may merit noting right up front, listener, we know. We know it's bad.
0: Look, for all the time that I have known you, I have very rarely seen you angry. Uh, (laughs) Metaphorically seen you. I have very rarely been in proximity to you through digital media or a telephone call and had you been angry towards anything around me, so... Honestly,
1: I'm kind of looking forward to it. (laughs) Okay, all right. (laughs) Well, we'll, maybe we'll revisit my anger when we get there, then. I will pocket my anger for a moment so that we can discuss this week's fan review.
0: Yes, and this week's fan review comes from, well, Google fan reviews. And it comes to us from Hannah Rizwan, which sounds a little bit like a Harry Potter character name to me. It does. Who says, nope, just nope, didn't enjoy it. Barely anything happens in the movie. And I'm a huge Potterhead, believe me. I mean, yeah, there are some crucial details in it, but I just didn't like it very much.
1: (laughs) I always enjoy your (laughs) literal reading of the comments.
0: I have to. There's like five ellipses between but and I just didn't (laughs) like it very much. And if I yelled it, you can assume it's in all caps. Let's (laughs) do it.
1: So without tipping my hand too much while I would never describe myself as a Potterhead or a huge Potterhead, Mm -hmm. Hannah and I sort of agree here. Okay, okay. All right, so we open this film on the wonderfully named Rufus Skrimgauer, who is the new Minister of Magic, you may recall from last film, and the Wizarding World has finally acknowledged that Voldemort has returned. Mm -hmm. And the open of this film is is sort of a dark, wartime-esque, almost like radio speech delivery of Scrimgeour warning the wizarding community to keep their guard up, to stay strong. And we learn that Death Eaters have basically just been rampaging through England, at the very least. Uh, they've been killing wizards, they've been infiltrating the Ministry. Voldemort is ascending mm-hmm. when we... Join this film.
0: Yeah, the tone of this movie is very much like they wanted to do a like World War Two, like the Nazis are taking over and everybody's on the run if they are considered lesser than by said Nazis. So like it's wizard Nazis trying to chase down our leads basically through this whole movie.
1: There is no doubt that there is a heavy layer of allegory here.
0: It's somehow the heaviest and the thinnest allegory
1: Yes, <laughs> you've ever seen. And this is all backdrop for something that within the context of the Harry Potter world, and I can't remember if this is the name of the chapter or just kind of what it comes to be called within fandom, the Battle of Seven Harrys. All right. <laughs> I know it's goofy, but it's a very yeah. literal interpretation, right? Yeah. So we're trapped in this very rough time Where because Harry is hitting the age of majority, the protection afforded to him by the Dursley household no longer exists. Mm -hmm. This is something the movies never really explained to us well and continue to not explain to us well. (laughs) Right. But in the broader context of the books, we know that there's a sort of magical hedge around Harry while he's staying at family's house through his connection to his aunt and relationship to his mother. There's this weird sort of pseudo-mystical protection that exhausts inexplicably when he turns 17. So, because Voldemort knows that's where he's been staying, Harry has to move. The problem is, because Voldemort has also infiltrated the ministry, the traditional means of travel for a wizard, the Flu Network, Mm-hmm. Is being watched, so they have to devise a sort of manual escape route for Harry to get to somewhere locked down. Mm-hmm. And the plan that they come up with, as far as I can tell, someone devised this plan after watching a bunch of bank heist movies from the 70s. Uh, yep, <laughs> I can feel that. <laughs> Because they're just going to get seven identical-looking bank trucks, or in this case, seven identical-looking Harrys. Uh-huh. And give each one of those Harrys a, like, a guardian, and then they're all going to scatter. hmm Also, uh, Bill Weasley is
0: here? Yeah, hey, Bill showed up. Bill's here for now. He, he's in the movies now.
1: <laughs> the very last second. So you may remember... I mean, you wouldn't from watching the movies, but you may remember <laughs> that Bill Weasley works with wild magical animals and specifically provided the dragons for the Triwizard Tournament. I know this only because we t- you
0: told me <laughs> that it was a thing that happened behind the scenes. Never in these movies have they acknowledged there was another Weasley. He just shows up at the door and he's like, hi, I'm Bill Weasley. And
1: we're just supposed to be like, oh, yeah, that guy who they've definitely <laughs> mentioned before. We haven't even touched on Percy Weasley, the Ministry Toadie. Oh my god, what? There's more Weasleys! <laughs> god, Weasleys coming out everywhere. So Bill Weasley, turns out, is engaged to Fleur Delacour, who you may also remember from the Triwizard Tournament. The hero of Bobaton.
0: Yes, vaguely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm
0: still salty about that hedge mage. It's all I can think about. <laughs> it's the only part of that movie I remember is Dedrick... Dickery, and and that hedge maze was somehow the worst thing
1: that could happen. <laughs> Never mind dragons in trial number one. Nope, a sort of tall hedge maze.
0: <sighs> yeah. Yep. Okay, please carry on.
1: There's so much of this movie to get to. Yeah. So, seven wizards, I guess six wizards, volunteer to take Polyjuice Potion and temporarily morph into Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't write down who all they were, but it's mostly kids and Mundungus Fletcher. Why is he here? Who knows? He kicks around in the books and there's never really any reason for it. He's sort of a hard luck case that Dumbledore always liked. Okay. I don't think he's ever been in these movies before now either. (laughs) Mundungus Fletcher is basically like a petty thief of the wizard world, like a thief with Mm -hmm. a heart of gold sort of situation. Gotcha. And... Accompanying each of them is either an aura or a grown-up Weasley, effectively. So your protectors are your Mad-Eye Moody's, uh, the Weasley parents, Tonks, uh, Remus Lupin's in there. Mm -hmm. And one of the pair-ups is, I believe, Bill and Fleur. Fleur being the one who transforms into Harry. And this is the scene I was alluding to or talking directly about at the beginning Because she takes a polymorph potion and turns into a dude. Mm -hmm. Fine. Sure. Yep. That's a thing that's happened elsewhere in the books. Yes. Contextually, Floor and Harry have a teasing relationship and you could almost forgive it as, oh, she's making fun of Harry or, you know, she's just a young human insecure in her own body. Mm -hmm. And so being in a different body weirds her out. Sure. There are ways that scene is not funny, but at least forgivable. Mm -hmm. until you know a broader context. And now when you know J.K. Rowling, watching a scene with a boy in a bra calling himself hideous, I mean, did this hit me extra hard? Am I wrong on this? I just, my teeth went up immediately. I don't think you're wrong. I mean, I, but you're also
0: talking to me and I make connections to these things everywhere. (laughs) about everything to put this into context yesterday i looked at like a tier chart for a fighting game that greatly resembled a like political compass like the libertarian created ah, political compass right? <laughs> and it was from like the worst tier to the best tier, from Ooh. bottom left to top right and i was like is this a healthy thing to be doing in our current <laughs> like this is me unironically how i live day to day so of course i was going to be affected by this so all that to say
1: I'm with you, but I don't know if I'm the best rubric for this. (laughs) And it's entirely possible that that's not what she meant. But listen, she has not earned goodwill anymore. Mm -hmm. And we often talk about how once an author releases a work, it sort of belongs to the reader, Mm -hmm. and the interpretation of the reader is every bit as valid as the intent of the author. Death of the author, yes. And, yeah. And that's That works in many different ways for many different purposes. It allows for literary criticism, all of this stuff. When I am at my best, I can divorce the author from the work. Okay. And listen, I'm a cishet white guy. It's pretty easy for me to do, right? Right. (laughs) You're not very threatened. Exactly. There's nothing in in any of these that's going to threaten me. So it's very easy for me to sit here and say like, oh yes, I never care about the author. I just judge whether or not I enjoy the book. Uh Uh-huh. But just, she has lost any shreds of deniability for me. So even if she didn't mean it, now in the context of who she is and what these works are, Mm -hmm. I can't find a different way to view that scene. There's no part of me that is willing to look at it charitably anymore.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not good.
1: (laughs) And if you are able to You know, look past that, or forgive that, or offer a great or a different interpretation. That's fine. I'm not telling you how you need to feel about it. I'm just telling you how it landed to me, listener. And it it did not land well. I won't complain about it too much more, but man, it just it put me into a bad mood rolling in.
0: Yeah, it was right up top that happened, and I was like, I was keyed in for it for the rest of the movie. I was like, what other strands are going to be unraveled? And they all lead back to the sweater of transphobia.
1: So, while the Order of the Phoenix is prepping for the Seven Harrys plan, the Death Eaters are meeting in, like, a dark conference room. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. And they're debating. They know Harry Potter needs to flee. Everyone's aware that this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And one of the Death Eaters is reporting a plan that he heard at the Ministry, and Snape overrules him, saying... That's bad info. That's a plant. We can't trust that. I, a member of the Order of the Phoenix, know when he is really moving. Mm -hmm. So because Snape has given up the plan, there are like 900 Dementors who immediately attack the various Harry's Potter. Which is the proper plural. Right. (laughs) There's a few Death Eaters mixed among them, and eventually there is Voldemort himself, who keys in on Harry. Mm -hmm. So basically, this whole plan just falls apart from the word go.
0: We find out very quickly that, like, Mad-Eye Moody dies, but just in the background of all this? Like, off-screen. He gets killed off-screen.
1: Mad-Eye Moody dies because Mundungus Fletcher, who was his Harry, Mm -hmm. got spooked and bailed immediately. Lovely. Hedwig, the owl, also dies. Animals dying sucks. Yep. And we are given to understand that that's why Voldemort was able to key in on the real Harry. Mm -hmm. He figured out which one Hedwig was protecting.
0: Yes. Voldemort finds Harry fleeing. For some reason, Grandpa Harry, half giant man, is like asleep. He like got knocked out. Right, so Harry's having to drive the scooter. They're flying on a scooter, by
1: the way. Harry's yeah. in a sidecar. You remember Hagrid the flying a scooter. scooter way back from the Euro wizard, Harry" scene? It's back. It sure is back, full circle, <laughs> baby. So he's
0: passed out, and like Harry has to fight off first a Death Eater, and then yep. Voldemort shows up with Lucius Malfoy's wand because because reasons. Because the other wand wasn't good enough, so a worse wand will be
1: better, I guess. I don't, I don't understand. Let me backfill this for you. Uh Uh-huh. You may recall that Harry Potter and Lord Voldemort have twin wands. They were made from the same stuff. Some would call them twins. Right. (laughs) And consequently, they cannot be, like, they will not be effective in combat against each other. Voldemort knows he needs to kill Harry. So he can't use his wand. Why does he take Malfoy's? That was a bad decision, obviously. Yeah. And then he sort of attacks Harry, but also just sort of does some, like, synchronized sky flying with him.
0: Something, yeah, something that goes on there. (laughs) And then he lets him get away. Like, he could just keep following him, but he just, like, screams up into the sky. Because I guess that's what villains do.
1: Yeah. He got bored with the chase. It's either
0: that or, like, it's your protagonist whenever their love interest dies to fuel their plot.
1: You're right. <laughs> so they gotta yell up into the sky. So, Mad-Eye dies, Hedwig dies, Papa Weasley gets himself pretty beat up. Mm-hmm. Mundungus got spooked and took off, and we are now, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, everyone is temporarily staying with the Weasleys.
0: Yeah, that seems to be the case. And whenever they first get back there, uh, like Remus is like threatening everybody who comes in with a Harry's Potter. Yes, but only like the first two people and. <laughs> for this reason because he doesn't do it to anybody else my brain's working the entire time going who's the spy there's a spy here right because he didn't actually check every single person he's like oh that's my wife so it couldn't possibly be her that looks like that couldn't possibly be him if it was wrong and like so the whole time i'm thinking there's a spy right but no it's just i don't know why they gave us that information he just got
1: bored with his interrogation i guess
0: yeah i i guess Nothing comes of that <laughs> whatsoever. They just drop that entire thread on the ground.
1: So while we are here at the Weasleys, we're still in kind of prep mode for the movie. The Battle <laughs> of Seven Harrys is our kickoff. Uh huh. But really, we're still, and will be for, I would argue, 80% of this movie, just setting the table. Sure. <laughs> and now that we're at the Weasleys' house, what's going on is primarily of concern. Harry is having Voldemort visions again. Mm -hmm. And specifically, he is having visions about Ollivander the Wandmaker. Yes. And also, we are planning for Bill and Fleur's wedding.
0: Also, yes. (laughs) Because Bill is (laughs) a character, and we're supposed to care about his wedding.
1: (laughs) There is a criminal lack of Ginny throughout most of this film. I agree. Given that we are at her house.
0: Yes. We see Ginny for like... Maybe ten minutes of this movie? (laughs) Of this two and a half hour movie, we see maybe ten minutes worth of Jenny. Not enough Jenny.
1: I will tell you, up top, when I do the, this film stars all of these people, I very nearly Mm. cut it down to three, because there are really only three people in this movie. I mean, that's fair. So, the wedding is sort of seen to be a, maybe less so in the movie, more so in the books, seen to be a sort of resistance against... Voldemort in its own right like we're Mm -hmm. not going to let him take this away from us Sure. so we throw this big wedding all of the sort of good guys for lack of a better word are present Mm -hmm. we get to see a lot of faces that we're not going to really get to see for the rest of the film
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and we meet uh, Xenophilius Lovegood
0: Lovegood's dead. Who, I mean, if you thought it was Lucius Malfoy, off first glance, no one could blame you.
1: You could have been forgiven for that mistake, yep. (laughs) I mean, from more than a couple yards away, they look the same. And the camera is going to linger, very importantly and knowingly, on a pendant that he is wearing.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And you'll be spending most of this movie going, but what about that pendant, though? That's important, right?
1: It is, but only because this movie tells you it is. And therein Mm -hmm. lies most of my complaints with this film. We'll get to it later. Sure. Sure. All right, so the wedding is interrupted because while all of the good guys are celebrating a wedding, the ministry falls. Uh Rufus Grimgower is killed and a puppet prime minister is put in place. I think his name's Pius or something.
0: Pius, yeah, that's that's the name.
1: (laughs) And Kingsley Shacklebolt, who to this point has managed to keep his membership in the Order of the Phoenix, a secret, is at the ministry. He sees the ministry fall, and he sends a message out to the wedding that arrives approximately two seconds before the Death Eaters.
0: Right. Like, right before everybody hits. It does
1: not arrive with enough time to do anything actionable.
0: It, it arrives for enough time to be
1: like, yo, she's gonna go bad, and then she goes <laughs> right. bad. Like, as soon as the sentence is completed. And at this juncture, Harry having already kind of thought about this, decides that he is putting way too many people at risk because he's the thing everyone's after. He knows this. He knows Voldemort's coming for him. He's the reason everyone else is in danger. So he is going to leave. If this
0: was the villain's movie, he would be the MacGuffin.
1: Yes. (laughs) And Ron and Hermione, of course, being his best friends, they know this plan is in the works. They insist they're going with him. Mm Mm-hmm. And thus begins, really, the heart of the seventh movie, which is the search for and theoretical destruction of the remaining Horcruxes. Mm -hmm. That's where the last movie left us off anyway, was Dumbledore telling Harry about the Horcruxes and sort of leaving him with the responsibility of resolving it. I did skip over briefly, and we should rewind to it scrimgower shows up at the weasley house before the wedding
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the only reason we should rewind to it is because he is there to dispose of dumbledore's will and dumbledore has left each of the trio a thing yep it's a very very Chekhov's gun moment checkoff sword <laughs> yes it's a checkoff sword, <laughs> and i get it that's how these books all work but scrimgower mm-hmm. shows up to say hey Here's some things from Dumbledore that he definitely left just for you. And he gives Hermione a book of children's stories. He gives Ron a... Like a deluminator, I think he calls it. A little toy that sucks light out of the rooms. Yes. And he gives Harry a golden snitch.
0: Yep, the snitch that he won on his first Quidditch match. Finally, there's a reason for Quidditch to have happened in these movies. <laughs>
1: The fact that it's the snitch from his first Quidditch match is very important, but I don't believe, and we'll see when we watch the second movie, I don't believe the movies ever explain why it's very
0: important. Yeah, that's fair.
1: I know throughout the course of these last six podcasts, I have consistently said this would make more sense if you read the books, but I feel Mm -hmm. like at this point, that should just be the title of these final two movies.
0: (laughs) It makes sense if you read the books. I feel (laughs) like if you were making movies and you just wanted to cut out all the fat... Like, why wouldn't you just open with the last will and testament and, like, those gifts being handed? And then they go off to find the thing. Just cut the wedding thing entirely. (laughs) We don't know Bill anymore. It doesn't matter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Because what you end up getting is if you're trying too hard to split that hair too many Mm -hmm. times, effectively what you get is sort of a highlights reel of the book instead of Uh a narrative that stands on its own legs. I guess so but we all we already cut bill out of the past six
0: movies which is why i'm like i don't care i don't care cool scar but i don't care bro why are you here
1: so the kids go on the run initially they go to number 12 which is the black homestead that the order of the phoenix had been operating out of Mm -hmm. it's still sealed and warded They think it's going to be a good place to kind of catch their breath where they know they can't be found. Now begins a sequence of impossibly coincidental effects that is just going to be a series of coincidence dominoes falling from now until the very end of the next movie.
0: There's a whole lot of stuff that happens that just seems to be coincidental from
1: here (laughs) to the end of this movie, huh? And some of it will get reasons... A lot of it is the early books in this series were children's books written for children. Mm -hmm. Great. So there's a lot of kind of high-handed fairy tale sort of tropes and like, does it make sense? Not really, but it doesn't have to. It's just telling a cute story. By the time we get to this book, it's telling a very complex story, but it still has the same problems of throwing out goofy things, MacGuffins and Chekhov guns and just kind of winding them all together in ways that like, you really have to squint
2: hmm
1: for it to work sure so speaking of squinting it turns out you remember that locket that was one of the horcruxes that they found like inside of acid volcano or something
0: right we found out that it
1: was fake in the last movie right and there was a note inside signed by r.a.b yep hey that's regalus black he lived here and his initials are on the door who knew Certainly not Harry or Dumbledore, both of whom had spent a significant amount of time in that house.
0: Yeah, certainly not Dumbledore, who
1: drank a fuck ton of poison to get a fake locket. Right? (laughs) Guys, you've been in this house forever, and Dumbledore, you know the Black family. But Whatever. R.A.B. stole the locket, but couldn't figure out how to destroy it. And now it's gone. What are we going to do? There's no one who possibly could know where it went. Except for the house elf, I guess. Yeah. Creature. Creature, creature. is Creature. The worst. And I don't creature. fault Creature. They're so mean to him. He's doing his best. When I say the worst, I mean of all of the terrible and ridiculous names that J.K. Rowling gives her characters. Some of them being fun. Some of them being insulting. Some of them are Rupert Grint. There's just a sentient being famous for being enslaved to awful people named Creature.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay, yep, so here's Creature, and he says, oh yeah, I remember that, locket. I definitely know what happened to it, because I'm here to keep this plot moving.
0: (laughs) Yeah, why me? Because I was here, and it was convenient at the time.
1: (laughs) So what we learn is Mundungus, who is a member of the Order of the Phoenix... Uh has been fencing stuff from this very expensive house that Uh no one's living in. Which I guess kind of tracks, honestly. It's not a bad gambit.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are worse ways to make your money. Yeah,
1: wizard's gotta live. So he sold this locket to Dolores Umbridge. Uh. Why? I don't know. I guess she just needed to be back in this place. I I love to hate Umbridge. I think she is a well-crafted character for that thing. Mm-hmm. She exists to be loathed and it works well.
0: It does work well. She is just the worst.
1: <laughs> so now we know she has a Horcrux.
0: We also know she didn't get torn limb from limb by
1: centaurs, which is the right? last time we saw her. <laughs> Seemed like that might happen. Yeah, so my next question Dumbledore didn't notice RAB, you know, mm-hmm. written on the door of the house that he had been staying in for some time. Voldemort who has taken over the ministry didn't notice that his horcrux was hanging around the neck of the lady running the ministry or at least like the number two Mm -hmm. like surely he would have taken that back and put it, or at least noticed that it wasn't in the volcano anymore right yeah he did he hide
0: those who hid the I don't understand why he doesn't have all the horcruxes if he can if he's doing
1: all this and he knows where they
0: are. Why doesn't he have all the horcruxes?
1: This is the heart of... When I say this book, Like you have to really squint to make it work because mm-hmm. the horcruxes, what they are and where they're hidden, do not make sense. It is like someone put together a Dungeons and Dragons dungeon that we mm-hmm. are solving. And furthermore, the Deathly Hallows are an absurd thing that gets slapped on at the end. Sure. It's just a bunch of goofy and i love D, but it's a bunch of goofy D garbage that were fed <laughs> as if it is the plot of a legitimate novel sure so specifically this locket why is he not hiding all of his horcruxes i don't know he hid one in a volcano and he left one at a he left two at a school
0: for reasons he, why, why,
1: uh why is that one is. in a volcano? And then one of them's like in a vault at Gringotts and several of them are just like at the school. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> but we know specifically among all of those that this locket puts out an evil aura. hmm Harry can feel it, which means Voldemort can feel it. Mm-hmm. How does he not notice that it's in the ministry? That drives me insane.
0: Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs>
1: Alright, so now we're going to go to the Ministry of Magic to retrieve the locket. And hey, this is great. Dumbledore already destroyed the ring. Here we are one-fifth of the way into the movie-slash-book, and we're already tracking Horcrux number two. We are on target, guys. Mm-hmm. So they're going to polymorph Polyjuice Potion into a couple of like mid-level governmental wizards. They're going to kind of mug them and steal their hair to do this. Yeah. And they're going to infiltrate the Ministry, hunt down Umbridge, and steal a necklace from her. How? Mm -hmm. Nobody knows. Does the plan make sense? Nope. Does it work? (laughs) Not really. It's just a happy accident that they get out of there with that thing. It really feels just like
0: it's coincidence after coincidence in this movie.
1: It sure does, and it's a good thing they coincidence their way into saving that witch's life, because I was pretty sure there was a minute where Ron and Hermione agreed that it was okay that a witch was going to die because it wasn't their problem. Right. <laughs> and that was really distressing for a minute. It's not your, it's not, It's fine, you don't have a wife. Okay, but she's somebody's <laughs> but wife. <laughs> she's still a human. A human <laughs> of a wife that you knocked out and left tied up in an alleyway so that he didn't even stand a shot of helping his wife. Uh... So it all boils down to Dolores Umbridge interrogating a witch Mm -hmm. in the chambers. Now that Voldemort is in charge, he is only allowing purebred witches and wizards to continue to be a part of the wizarding world. Anyone who's a mudblood is getting chased out. Yeah. Or killed. Killed is definitely an option very clearly on the table. And... Umbridge is interrogating the wife of the man that Ron has polyjuiced, potioned into. And ultimately, how this goes down is the wizard trio just gets mad and attacks Umbridge and then runs. That's the whole plan. They attack her, they steal the necklace, and they run. This
0: whole coincidence was set up, it feels like, just for the one-liner of you mustn't tell lies. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Which did feel sort of good, I'll be honest. Corny but it was
0: yeah but i feel like old jk was just sitting in her study one day drinking her rich people juice and was like (laughs) how do i convince people that i know what i'm doing how do i
1: backwards engineer this scene
0: i will have him reveal himself as not the person he has disguised himself as (laughs) all for a moment of you must not tell lies remember that from like four books ago (laughs) that'll land that'll get him oh man
1: So, they do get the locket, they do Uh save that poor witch, and they escape somehow out the toilets. There's a problem there, (sighs) because someone was chasing them, Mm -hmm. and if I recall correctly, had a hold of one of their heels, Mm -hmm. so that when they apparated, he went with them. They immediately apparate to number 12, but because they had a visitor... Hermione had to shake him off and then apparate somewhere else. Which means, number one, Ron got splinched. A real goofy-sounded word. And number two, number 12 is now burned. They can't use it anymore because they have revealed its location to the bad guys.
0: At this point, splinting? Splinching? Splinching. 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 Okay. That sounds like I don't even know what. (laughs) Uh, But, like, that's why Ron's arm is all, like... Just fucked up, like, it looks like it's, like, rows are all the way down to the, like, it has, like, I don't even know how to, how do you describe it? It looks like if his flesh was taffy, it was wrapped around what would be his bone.
1: (laughs) That's not a terrible explanation for it, honestly. So, splinching canonically is if you apparate badly, and this is why you're not supposed to apparate until you're old enough to work the magic correctly you mm-hmm. effectively can leave bits of yourself behind Oof. or bits of yourself can rearrange when they get to where they're going yeah so like ron's arm didn't come through in a ron's arm shape
0: gotcha for my weebs out there in full metal alchemist whenever you have a rebound happen and it just like yes. fucks
1: your shit up it's like that <laughs> pretty accurate so now they are well and truly on the run hermione has a Mary Poppins bag full of, like, tents and camping supplies? hmm Because, of course, she does. She's well-prepared.
0: How did we get to, like, seven movies in before we got to a bag of holding? Right?
1: <laughs> Why did it take that long? What we learn at this point is that the Horcruxes are not easily destroyed. Ron and Hermione take turns slinging spells at it for a while. Nothing's touching it. So they have to carry it with them until they find something which can destroy it.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Also, hey, remember when I said earlier it has an evil aura about it? Mm -hmm. It affects whoever's carrying it. So basically you can only carry it for a little bit of time before you become... Is paranoid maybe the right word?
0: I guess paranoid's probably the closest that's coming to mind currently.
1: It just, it finds the your darkest thoughts and your worst thoughts, and it emphasizes them and brings them up to the front of your brain. hmm So they agree, once they suss it out, when I say they, I mean once Hermione figures out what's going on. Right. They agree to wear the locket in turns. And what the movie tells us in a throwaway line, and what the book gives us a little more thoroughly, is that the locket weighs extra heavily on Ron, Yes. The movie just kind of touches on that. I like that the book leads us more to believe, at least this was my takeaway from it, that Ron is sort of a deeply empathetic person. Whereas Harry is reactionary and Hermione is like a calculating thinker. Mm -hmm. Ron's whole deal is like he just his heart leads him everywhere. (laughs) Sure. For both good and ill. Mm -hmm. And so the locket really preys on him the worst of all.
0: Which, whenever you're, like, a teenage boy is, everybody's trying to take my girlfriend away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's true. And poor Ron, when he's carrying this locket, is just constantly convinced that Hermione is leaving him for Harry.
0: Yeah, he's just, he becomes deeply insecure. It's probably, like, magnified by the fact that, like,
1: he's the reason they're walking on foot. Yes. Like, he feels like he's holding it back. <laughs> right. Because he's been splinched, they're really, truly on the run now. hmm And there's also, I think, part of that brings with it the baggage that Ron has always had about being, in his own head, the least significant of the trio. Right. Harry's the special one, Hermione's the smart one. hmm And I think a lot of that baggage is pushed to the front by... Again, perceiving himself as the weight around the neck of the trio.
0: I think so, too. I think it makes sense for that character, uh, given their median age and the type of person that he
1: is. And we also know that Ron is listening to what amounts to wizard pirate radio. Mm -hmm. The movie doesn't ever really tell us what this is, but there's a pirate radio station operated Mm -hmm. by can't remember. It might be Ernie. I think it's one of the old. Is it Bert? So I'm sure it was on the calendar. Students. What's Cookie Monster <laughs> up to? And a lot of what they are talking about is just which wizards have died or gone missing today. So Ron is already in a bad place. And mm-hmm. as you are wont to do when you are in a depressive episode, he is surrounding himself with negative energy. Mm-hmm. And what we learn eventually from Ron himself is he wasn't listening to find out who was dying. He was listening just to see if he heard his family's names every day.
0: Right. I mean, that was immediately obvious to me. Right, yeah. It to, As somebody who, like, would probably be in that same headspace. <laughs> sure, yeah. You know that they've helped Harry Potter. You You're going to be listening to make sure that your family's okay.
1: Yeah, honestly, at this point, the Weasleys are probably like, undesirables number one after Harry, right? They've got to be, right? Then the rest (laughs) of the Order have been, like, protecting Harry,
0: like, the whole time.
1: Now, at this point, I sort of check out for a chunk of the movie, I'll be honest. Okay. Okay. Because it's just a lot of dour wandering around. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's, I don't know, like, they're being chased by snatchers, they call them. Mm Mm-hmm. If you're wondering what a snatcher is, it's a bounty hunter. She just needed to invent a new word for that, too. Gotcha. It's a wizard bounty hunter.
0: It read to me as, like, the wizard gobblers from His Dark Materials. (laughs) Yeah. Like, she read
1: that and was like, nope, scratch that out. Snatcher. Yeah. Yeah. Snatchers. (laughs) They snatch them. But it is significant. And while the middle of the movie drags for me, that is, at least in part, its purpose. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, initially, Harry, Hermione, and Ron set out thinking, we're going to find these things. Harry even kind of gets mad and yells about it. You know, did you think we were going to find one every couple of days? Mm-hmm. But that is kind of what they all thought, right? That was the plan. They're going to go find him, and they're going to go destroy them. Right. And they have only found one. It is making their lives worse, and they have no idea how to destroy it. And they're effectively just wandering the wilderness, listening to the deaths of their friends increasingly unable to fulfill the purpose that they have set out for.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And eventually the locket drives Ron past the brink and he leaves.
0: Yeah. He eventually gets to a point where like, well, she doesn't cut my hair, so I'm out of (laughs) here. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like that whole section of the movie and it carries on even past this point. Um, I feel like, a, I know what they're doing. They're trying to subvert the expectations of them jumping around and finding, you know, horcruxes every five minutes, and that being sure the whole thing. And, like, it helps curb the idea that, like, okay, so these kids can just do anything. They're just like, yep, against all odds, I can do whatever. They're OP. Who cares? I never, never have to worry about them getting hurt. So, like, it's, it's trying to ground the stakes. It's trying to subvert expectations. I think it's trying to eat into the pathos of those characters and give us, like, just some nice little character pieces with them. Right. I like the premise. I like... I like it's just this sprawling countryside and they're like on mm-hmm. the run. But also I don't think they nailed it. And I find it really boring. Most of the time, there's a few <laughs> little like high points where I'm like, Oh, that's what this should be the whole time. But otherwise it's
1: just boring. to me. <laughs> And the flip side for me is because she wanted to accomplish all of this in one book, mm-hmm. two movies. That means that when it comes to Horcrux, a fight in time, mm-hmm. they're going to find and destroy four of them in like 20 pages. I mean, it's not 20 pages. But Feels it like does it. make the rest of them all come off very cheaply, because it's just like, oh, there's one. Also, there's one. There's another one. Ha! Huh, all gone.
0: <sighs> yeah, that sucks. Because then you're right back to the problem you had before,
1: where it's right. just Horcrux killing.
0: Horcrux. Which, we're not quite there yet, but I do
1: have some praise for when we finally get to the Horcrux killing. Sure, yeah. So, Harry and Hermione are on their own for a bit. And they decide to go to Godric's hollow after figuring out that dumbledore was from there and tom riddle was from there and it's where harry lived when he was a kid or something like Godric's hollow just comes up a bunch so they go hey i guess we should go to Godric's hollow probably this is i think
0: that's after the little dance scene which i liked I liked the dance scene.
1: I don't even remember that scene. You're going to have to remind me.
0: Okay, so, like, there's a moment where Harry and Hermione are off on their own, and they've been traveling on their own for a while. Mm-hmm. And Harry, like, like there's music on the radio, and she's, like, doing the Timpneys thing, you know? Like oh, the, that's the right, yes. Thing? And she's looking all sad and shit because she misses Ron. And they're both just kind of, like, crushed under the weight of, like, f- of wizard fascism. Right. <laughs> and so he's like, we need to get up, we need to dance, we try need to try and find some joy in this moment, right? And so then they have that little sweet, joyous moment. Those characters almost have chemistry? Almost. Yeah. It's almost there. And then, like, they, like, quickly slump back into, oh, yeah, but the world is shit and everything is awful.
1: <laughs> right. So we end up going to Godric's Hollow very specifically to talk to Bathilda Bagshot. Sure. sure. Who is clearly not... <laughs> right. She was the greatest wizarding historian. She also lived in Godric's Hollow. And very recently, she gave a tell-all expose to Rita Skeeter about Dumbledore's life. She being among the wizards and witches who were closest to him while he was living. Mm-hmm. Everyone comments how deeply out of character this is for Bathilda Bagshot. She normally wouldn't talk to this sort of salacious, gossipy press. Whatever. They think, hey, she's written a book about this stuff. She knew Dumbledore better than anybody. Maybe she might have a guess about where we could find a Horcrux or something. Sure. And maybe she would have if she wasn't secretly a giant snake. Because of course she is. Because this whole movie has (laughs)
0: been people taking Polyjuice potions. And because she doesn't say a goddamn thing until it comes out in Parseltongue. So of course she's a giant snake.
1: Yeah, there's 12 minutes of this movie that is shot like a suspense thriller film
2: mm-hmm.
1: in Bethilda Bagshot's house. All kinds of, like, low, distorted angles. And... and it's just a snake, and they
0: run away from the snake. Yeah, they, they knock the snake out, they burn the snake. We don't know what happened to the yeah. snake, but they get away from the snake.
1: The, yep, that's
0: pretty much it for the trip to Godric's Hollow. Yeah, they visit uh, Harry's parents' grave. Yes. they. There's also the other, there's also that same symbol on a gravestone. Oh, I
1: forgot. Yeah, I forgot the Deathly Hallows symbol was on a gravestone. You're right. So, yeah, there's all that. And then they're back in the woods. I think specifically Hermione takes them to a place where she used to camp with her parents, or was that the very first trip?
0: No, that's this one it's okay. somewhere that she used to go like on like family trips.
1: Yeah, it's so like it came to mind quickly when she needed somewhere to run to.
2: Mhm.
1: And while Harry is taking the first watch of the night, a patronus shows up and leads him to a lake.
2: Mhm.
1: The patronus notably is in the form of a doe.
0: Yes. Now, this is not related in the movie whatsoever, but this is his mother's patronus, one assumes.
1: That's right. Okay. Uh, and that will be related in film two. Okay. As will, I promise, an explanation for why this thing shows up. This is not one of the things that doesn't get explained.
0: Okay. Thank goodness we got plenty of those.
1: <laughs> now, does it get explained well? Mm. I have complaints about the construction, but it does there is a reason this happens that ties into the larger plot. Okay. So that Patronus leads him to a lake. And at the bottom of the lake is the Sword of Godric Gryffindor. Ta-da! Why? Why is it? Why? <laughs> but why? Again, this will be explained. Badly, in my opinion. But that will be explained. But... So Godric's Gryffindor, the Sword of Godric Gryffindor, was left to Harry in the will. Mm-hmm. But it was missing, so they couldn't give it to him.
0: Right. Because it didn't technically belong to Gandalf, Harry Wizard, man. You can't give it right. to you.
1: Harry dies down to get the sword, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the locket starts choking him to death. Because he kept wearing it for some reason, even though he took off all his other clothes. Yep. Harry gets just real naked except for a locket, dives into a lake, and nearly dies. He is saved by Ron, who then retrieves the sword and smashes the locket, but not before watching Smoke Monster Harry and Hermione having some sexy times. It's weird.
0: Yeah, I mean,
1: and still totally in character for what Ron would see. (laughs) 100%. It is... As much as I complain about the narrative of this movie, I think mm-hmm. it does build Ron's motivations and character arc very well.
0: And that is the coolest part of this movie. Like, when the locket comes open and, like, the weird, just, like, sort of, like, eldritch smoke horror bullshit starts happening, it yeah. looks so fucking cool. I wish we got more of that, unless walking around the wilderness in the movie, but that, it's at great. least, that moment looks so fucking cool. And then... Yeah, he's, like, taunted by not Ron and not Hermione, and then they're naked and making out, and you're like, yeah, that's where I, look, I used to be a shitty teen.
1: <laughs> I used to be Ron Weasley. Yep, those are the sort of things that, like, fill your head. And the idea is, again, there's a chunk of Voldemort's soul in this locket, and it has, obviously, some additional defense mechanisms. Mm-hmm. It is showing him whatever it needs to to get him angry enough to go away. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, he overcomes it. He uses the sword of Godric Gryffindor to destroy the locket. And now we're in business, guys, because now we know how to destroy Horcruxes, the sword. You hit him with a sword because it's a fantasy (laughs) movie. All right. So Ron's back. Mm -hmm. Hermione is glad to see him, but there's still some stuff that needs worked through. This is not an immediate apology and all is well, which Mm -hmm. I appreciate. There's a fun moment where he's like,
0: I vote we go do the thing that she said. And he raises his hand, and they both just <laughs> yeah. kind of look real
1: awkwardly. Like, he's trying real yep. hard. Like, <laughs> he's bless his heart. so hard. <laughs> so, okay, Ron's back. We're working on patching things up. We have the sword. We've destroyed the locket. Also, Harry's wand broke in defense of the snake, and now he has a new one. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So... I completely forgot that Harry's wand has now been destroyed as well. So now, neither Voldemort nor Harry are using the twin wands. Mm -hmm. All right. We need to figure out where to go next. We have destroyed the ring. Well, Dumbledore destroyed the ring. We have destroyed the locket. We have no other clues. And, of course, Hermione, appropriately, delightfully, turns to books. Yep. So, in reading both the kids' book that... Dumbledore left her and in reading the biography of Dumbledore published by Rita Skeeter as told by Bathilda Bagshot they come round again to the symbol of the Deathly Hallows. She sees it in the book. She mm-hmm. says, "Hey, we saw it on the grave. We've seen it in several places now. Maybe this is important." And Harry says, "Oh yeah. I know who might know something about that because the camera told me back in the first act." <laughs> right. <laughs> So it's off to the Lovegood household, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: where, much like Bathilda Bagshot, we can immediately sense that something is wrong with old Xenophilius Lovegood here. Mm -hmm. Dude is nervous as all get out, and whenever they ask where Luna is, he deflects. Oh, she'll be joining us shortly, I believe is what he says. (laughs) So what we know is that Luna has been kidnapped, and is being held as leverage For precisely this scenario, Mr. Lovegood sees Harry Potter show up and says, all right, this is the trade token that I need to get Luna back. Mm -hmm. He is clearly troubled by it, but he wants his daughter back. So he summons the Death Eaters, and to keep them here, he answers their questions about the Deathly Hallows. This I love. We go into this interesting sort of pop-up book, cardboard cutout retelling of a children's story. And it's a story about how three wizard brothers try to cheat death, and in doing so are rewarded with prizes. One of them gets an invisibility cloak, one of them gets a resurrection stone, mm-hmm. one of them gets the strongest wand ever. It's the wizard version of the Parable of the Talents. It exactly is, you're right, yes. <laughs> and the Parable of the Talents is something, if you grew up in an evangelical Christian home, you will immediately recognize. Mm-hmm. If not, I don't know if it's worth the time to explain. It's this, but with Jesus. Right. <laughs>
0: But instead of magical items, it's just money. It's just money.
1: <laughs> so this story, I don't think it is not supposed to be history, but it is a like a parable that tells about three items that do exist. So there is an invisibility cloak. There is an all-powerful wand. There is a resurrection stone. Were they all given to the wizards as a gift by death? Probably not, but the legend conveys the fundamentals of the truth anyway. The point of the story is that there are three sort of all-powerful objects, and when brought together, they could make a wizard the most powerful wizard in the world.
0: Now, is this invisibility cloak the same invisibility cloak that Harry has had the entire time?
1: Sure is. Of course it is. Isn't that convenient? Yes. Yes. Is the Elder Wand a wand that Dumbledore's been running around with for a while? You betcha.
0: Yeah.
1: So where's the stone? I don't know. We'll
0: find out next time. Yep. Is it that rock over there? Probably. Wait a (laughs) minute. Probably.
1: Wait a minute. There's a rock of resurrection behind that rock. How convenient that the three most powerful wizarding items in the entire history of all wizards just exist in like a five mile chunk of London. (laughs) Right. All right. While Lovegood is telling this story a bunch of Death Eaters show up, but the trio escapes. Why? I'm honestly not sure, because they're going to escape only to get captured by a bunch of rubes.
0: Yeah, they like bamf away, and then they get captured by these bit characters, the Snatchers, the not Gobblers.
1: Yeah, they get captured by some Lost Boys.
0: Yeah, (laughs) accurate. (laughs) (laughs) And they've fought off way stronger people than these, so I don't know why they're like, so I don't know why they're running scared like they are all of a sudden. But they are. Or why
1: that they were just conveniently where they decided to banff to? It is definitely odd, and I very much wish that Lovegood's betrayal would have been where they were caught, because it would have mm-hmm. made his betrayal much sharper and more meaningful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But instead, we let them escape away so he doesn't have to feel any guilt and they can get captured by some lackeys.
0: Yeah, immediately Ron's saying what everybody else is saying. He's like, he's like, tried to sell us out? And Harry's like, no, it's okay. His daughter was captured. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sure, whatever. Anyway, they get chased down, and then, like, Hermione, like, just fucks up Harry's face for a little bit.
1: Yeah. Because she's trying to make sure they don't know who Harry is. What? He has a scar on his head. Just check he the does, scar every and he's time. She's traveling with, at this point, the fairly well known Ron Weasley and Hermione creatures. <laughs> right? They're like, and, why would you just find somebody
0: else who conveniently <laughs> right. looks just like Harry, but with a fucked up face and has his scar, but we traveling can't be sure? two best friends. We don't know for sure.
1: <laughs> oh my god. So they are taken to the. Malfoy house. Yes. Where they await the arrival of Voldemort, because Voldemort wants to be the one to kill Harry. Mm-hmm. There's a moment here where because Harry's face is a wreck, one of the grown-ups asks Draco to confirm Harry's identity. And he doesn't. He's He kind of mumbles an excuse, you know, I, I can't tell, his face all junked up.
0: Yeah, he seems like a very conflicted young little Nazi.
1: <laughs> yeah. There's some some real pathos given to old Draco in the last couple of films.
0: Maybe a little too late, buddy, cuz right? you're still enabling
1: fascists, <laughs> but okay, sure. Yeah. So they're going to throw everyone down in the cellar jail, which is like warded against magics. But Bellatrix is going to keep Hermione upstairs and just go all sorts of Cruciatus curse on her over and over again.
0: <sighs> they ugh. If the Nazi parallels were not already just like driven home, she like carves mud blood into her forearm.
1: Yeah, it's heavy-handed. It's a little ridiculous, but it is nonetheless effective. In large part, I think because Emma Watson does a pretty good job of actually sounding like she's in pain when she's screaming.
0: Yeah, she's still the best actor in all these yes. movies. <laughs> And there are some heavy hitters among, like, British stage and screen in these movies, but, like... Oh, yeah. She kind of kills every scene that she is given to, like, chew on.
1: (laughs) And downstairs, the rest of the wizards, Harry, Luna, Ron, Ollivander, turns out, the wand maker is down here. Yeah. As is Griphook, random goblin bank teller.
0: Yeah, the Jewish
1: stereotype's
0: down there, too. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) And he is significant insofar as he's the bank teller we saw way back in movie one when Harry first goes to Gringotts. Uh-huh. While Hermione is being tortured, everyone downstairs is concerned. Harry has a chunk of a mirror that he's been carrying with him for a while. Mm-hmm. And he periodically sees what he thinks is Dumbledore's reflection in this mirror. I don't know if the movie ever mentions this. I know this from the books. Does that... Does the movie explain that he's been looking in it and seeing Dumbledore? I don't think so. There's been... Here's
0: my thing about this mirror. Like, remember whenever we were doing, like, the first or second movie, and you're like, this is a Chekhov's gun that's going to fire many films down the line for that damn mirror. So this is clearly from that mirror, but they don't ever tell you it's from that damn mirror. Yeah.
1: (laughs) There's a lot of things that... Yeah. (laughs) So he's been looking in that mirror... He's been thinking he sees Dumbledore, and in desperation he shouts for help. And mm-hmm. Dobby turns up. Yeah, Dobby, who we haven't seen for quite some time, although who has been a recurring presence in the books. So in the books, his friendship with Harry, Hermione, and Ron has been building and building.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In the movies, it's just sort of a callback.
0: Yeah, he shows up earlier in the film whenever they're finding the Grumblemongus, Dumbled, Tung, whatever that dude's name is, right. with, uh, creature. <laughs> That's right for a bit, and he's just like, hi, I'm Dobby, and Dobby's here, and Dobby is his own man, and Dobby's <laughs> a big boy now, and he wants to help all his friends. Yep. And he basically comes back for this again here, he's like, I'm here, and I can get in
1: and out of this room. Why? I don't know. Because reasons. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm an elf, and I guess elf magic is different or something. Sure. Uh, whatever. And it just turns into a big old fight in the upper room where... Ultimately, Dobby drops a chandelier and everyone gets away. I still don't really track how all of that wound out. That's something. Because, you know, whenever
0: you're holding someone hostage and you have, like, a blade to their throat, if something was about to fall on you, the first thing you would do would be to separate from that person. Right, right. And then run immediately
1: underneath the chandelier. It's a strange move from Dobby, right? Because he is threatening to crush Hermione, who was his biggest advocate. Yeah, it's, it's it's a choice. But again, this movie is just a sequence of constantly falling luck dominoes, so sure.
0: I do like his little line whenever, like, he gets called out on that, and he's like, I would never kill, only, like, maim or greatly (laughs) harm. And
1: there is a brief moment where it looks like the downstairs wizards are going to overwhelm the upstairs wizards.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Harry, I think, disarms Draco they are getting the better of the fight until Bellatrix takes Hermione and puts a knife to her throat. Right. So Dobby drops a chandelier. They all run, they grab hands, they apparate. But as Dobby is apparating, Bellatrix chucks a knife at him Mm -hmm. and it lands between his shoulder blades. And the end of this movie is on, I don't know if it's like the Rocky cliffs of Dover or if we're in Wales or what, but it's definitely on one of those Rocky islands Mm -hmm. in the British Isles. And it is just a funeral of Dobby the Elf. Yeah, it sure happens. I felt like I was supposed to feel something. <laughs> I didn't. It gets me. Okay. And I think it gets me because Dobby is a much deeper presence in the books. And while he's a little bit annoying, he is a very, very well-realized character. And in mm. the movies, he's like 20 minutes and mostly a joke. Like, Dobby is here for comic relief in the right. movies, clearly. And so I don't think his death is earned unless you've read the books, in which case, oh, that's Dobby. You backfill, like we've talked about lots of times, you backfill all of that emotion and bring it with you.
0: It felt, look, and this is not what we're here to talk about, and this is a big, like, tangent. And <laughs> something that we will eventually get to, and goddamn, do I dread that day. But it was like whenever they had to, like, erase C-3PO's memories in the newest Star Wars yep. movie. Yep. It felt yep, just nice. like that to me where I was like, I feel like I'm supposed to feel something here, but I don't.
1: <laughs> no, it really, this scene. And I'm sure in part because I read these books as a younger person. Mm-hmm. This scene always makes me a little teary eyed, even sure. knowing it's coming. It makes me a little teary eyed because Dobby is significant. Movie Dobby is a bummer. Book Dobby is significant. And I am, and his death is, does get me a little bit. Mm-hmm. I can certainly see why it wouldn't if you weren't intimately familiar with the source material. That's fair. And that's sort of, the movie ends there except for a brief cutaway to see Dumbledore's tomb being opened and the Elder Wand being removed from
0: it. It ends with some real bad CG I'm moving apart that <laughs> It the, sure does. That grave. And then, yeah, digs up a wand and shoots it into the sky. And that's the end of our movie.
1: <laughs> so, you could probably do the math on how many horcruxes have been destroyed and how many yet remain. And have a pretty good guess about what the next movie is going to be.
0: We're going to find four, four horcruxes.
1: Four <laughs> We're going to find
0: horror horcruxes and, <laughs> and destroy them. All right. that's
1: That's it, man. We got through that movie in reasonable time.
0: Yeah, all things considered.
1: any closing thoughts on it
0: i feel like they wanted to do like into the wild in the middle of this movie Mm, okay but bad but it was not entertaining (laughs) and then like we get a few moments that are pretty cool i really love that horcrux scene i think it's some of the best visual Mm. like shit that we've seen through all these movies like it just looked cool coming out of there and it was all bubbly and it was great but so much of this movie just felt like, and then another thing happens, yep. and then they found this other thing. Why was that thing that we're gonna get to it? Just and then what about yep. this? Oh, but it, we're we haven't explained it yet. And I realize that a lot of this is because this is a part one out of two. Sure. And they still have a lot of things to answer that they're set. Like we have a lot of the setup and none of the payoff. Yeah. However. I'm one of the Marvel boys. I like the Marvel movies. (laughs) And when I went to go see Infinity War, it was part one of two. And I still felt like there was some resolution by the end of
1: that movie. It stood alone pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. This did not to me. What do you think, Mark? (laughs) So my takeaway from this movie is, Mm -hmm. I think, aside from perhaps the next movie, we get the strongest performances we're going to get from the trio. They're right. all acting as good as they're ever going to act in, in this franchise. I think we get the most complex version of Ron that we've ever seen, and that's great. I think we get a more grown-up version of Harry, and that's fantastic. I think we start to give Hermione something beyond just being the smart one, and we're seeing the culmination of six years of relationships between the characters, strengthened by the fact that we now have like nine years of relationships between these three humans. And I think that plays very well. Mm -hmm. So I really do think we get the strongest acting performances out of all of them. And we do have, you're right, some individual, very strong scenes, but it does not add up to a complete movie for me at all. So where I land ultimately is I park this just above Chamber of Secrets. So, my order is Sorcerer's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, Deathly Hallows 1, Order of the Phoenix, Half Blood Prince, Goblet of Fire, Prisoner of Azkaban, still my number one.
0: Okay. If I'm going to read them off the same way you did, I would do Sorcerer's Stone at number seven. I still think it's the worst Harry Potter movie. <laughs> uh, Deathly Hallows Part One is going in at number six. And I almost put it at seven. Like, I sat and I was about to put it in there, (laughs) but then you raised a really great point about some of those really strong scenes and the Mm -hmm. acting just as a whole. I think it plays a little more to some of my sensibilities as well than that first movie does, so I bumped it up. I'm all sticking at six. Then Order of the Phoenix at five, Chamber of Secrets at four, Goblet of Fire at three, Half-Blood Prince at two, and one is still Prisoner of Azkaban
1: seven movies in at this point we agree on number one and seven but our lists are completely different otherwise
0: i think they're pretty similar it's only like things are moving around they're only really moving a little bit it's not like you yeah. loved this movie and i hated it or any of them were really
1: that way they just kind of trailed other movies for us just along the way the top half of our list contain the same movies and the bottom half of our list contain the same movies just in different orders. right 100 percent. all right man this is a ridiculous question because we just watched part one but what's up next? Well, next up is going to be Harry Potter
0: and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. The Third One Sucks is a retrograde orbit radio production. If you like the show, make sure to rate and review it on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps us out. Follow us on Twitter at The Third One Sucks or email us at TheThirdOneSucks at gmail.com, where we can chat about episodes and take your suggestions on what you would like us to cover in the future. That's the, the number three, rd1sucks at gmail.com.
1: If you aren't already tired of our voices, you can check out our other projects, including Mindful Self-Indulgence, where Dan interviews folks about the media that has most impacted their lives, and Mount Olympus, where Mark and a panel of friends watches and reviews the Hercules and Xena television franchises, along with the rest of the Retrograde Orbit Radio family of podcasts at retrogradeorbitradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again in this sequel.